0: Afternoon Dhamma Saturday Dhamma session. Today I will be talking about the Chula Tanha Sankaya Sutta. It's a discourse
1: the Buddha gave that we were studying this morning in the study group. If anyone's interested in joining our study group, you can visit our Discord server. It's every Saturday
0: morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. But this sutta
1: is remarkable. Jula means small, it's a short sutta. there's not a lot to it, but it's remarkable in the summary of the Buddhist teaching that it gives it provides probably one of the best summaries of the Buddhist
0: teaching the path of specifically related to the path of practice. And it begins with the Buddha saying, Sabe Dhamma nalang abhinive saya. All Dhamma are indeed not worth clinging to. This, the Buddha said, is what one needs to know
1: to begin following the path towards freedom from suffering. It's maybe the most important truth in the universe. Of all truths, no Dhamma is worth clinging to.
0: It's easy to miss it, miss the significance when you read the Sutta.
1: But this is the basis on which we practice mindfulness and the buddhist teaching in general it has it's our guiding principle it's the defining factor of our practice among all other spiritual or religious meditative practices We are guided by this principle, that nothing, no dhamma, and no dhamma means nothing, including nibbana, including enlightenment, including all good and wholesome things. None of it is worth clinging to. And it being the guiding principle, it colors our practice accordingly. In our practice of mindfulness, we are constantly challenged, distracted, taken out of our meditative state of mind through things we cling to, through clinging to the objects of the sense, clinging to concepts, clinging to thoughts, emotions. So of all the things we need to learn, of all the things we need to study, we need to hear. The Buddha said, "Suttang." he has heard this. You just have to have heard this from someone that nothing is worth clinging to once you've heard that you can begin to practice mindfulness that's what he says he says that when one when one has heard this having heard this based on hearing this truth based on keeping this truth in mind through hearing this truth one comes to sabang dhammang abhijahanati one comes to know all dhamma uh, completely, fully, uh, in an ultimate sense. There's a connection here that might not be clear if you're not familiar with the Buddhist practice or the Buddhist teaching. But again, it's this clinging that takes us away from our pure and clear state of mind, takes us away from objective observation of reality. We can't see things clearly when we cling. That's the whole point. So in order to see things clearly, we must be free from clinging. In order to be free from clinging, we must see things clearly. We start by hearing that nothing is worth clinging to, and we begin to see, as a result of that, we incline our minds, we open our minds, and we become alerted to the fact that we do cling to many things. When we're reminded of the teaching that nothing is worth clinging to, we are alerted to the fact that this clinging is stressful, this clinging is causing us suffering. We see that through our practice. Moreover, we see things without that clinging, allowing us to see that that the things we cling to are not worth clinging to.
0: If you close your eyes,
1: focus on your experiences, you'll see immediately how quick the mind is to cling to things. Cling to the
0: objects of experience. Get hooked
1: by, carried away by, get lost in all of the many things we experience. and watch the stomach, you'll find yourself caught up by partiality, by view, by thought, by distraction, by doubt, confusion, worry, etc., etc. We get caught up in things, we
0: cling to them, We let them carry us away.
1: When you frame your practice in this way, it leads to clarity because clinging is all that's standing in our way from understanding the truth of life, truth of reality, from curing our minds of sickness. There's no cause for sick, mental sickness besides clinging. Nothing can harm us
0: mentally unless we cling to it.
1: Sabang dhammang having Having seen All dhammas in an ultimate, having understood all dhammas in an ultimate sense, sabang dhammang parijanati. One comes to fully understand all dhammas. Meaning, when you see things as they actually are beyond all of our conceptions, all of our baggage, all of the the commentary we we apply to our experience, when you see beyond that and see things just as they are, we're seeing is just seeing, hearing is just hearing. You come to understand about all dhammas. Come to understand that nothing is worth clinging to in in a complete sense that nothing could be worth clinging to so the things that you've heard the truth that you've heard that nothing is worth clinging to you come to see that for yourself Madhis as the result of that, whatever you whatever feeling you feel, pleasant, painful, neither pleasant nor painful, you see it as impermanent. You dwell seeing it in such a way we raganupasi see it without passion. Nirodha nupassī viharati. You
0: dwell seeing cessation. Patiñasa Giving up.
1: You dwell seeing the relinquishing. You see the mind letting go. We talk about letting go in Buddhism, in spirituality in general. We talk about it in secular. Discourse as well. I'm often asked, how do you let go? How how do how can I let go? And letting go isn't the practice. Letting go is what you see happen when you see fully and clearly and completely. When you cut through the veil of ignorance, the veil of craving, the thick fog that surrounds the mind, And you see things as they are. Cessation comes about. Relinquishing comes about. Freedom comes about. Kina jati vusitam rahmacharyam katang karniyam Done is what needs to be done. That's all you can say if you've done it. It's a powerful statement done it, the it that we've searched for lifetime after lifetime, the meaning of life, the meaning of the universe, the meaning, the why, you found it, you've done it, and there's nothing more to do. Nothing more to do. It's a very powerful statement. This summary is a very good glimpse, useful glimpse into the whole of the 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 framework of the Buddha's teaching in brief. The Buddha was asked by Sakka to teach in brief Sankita. And he gave this summary. So that's all I had to talk about today. I think I'll just move into answering questions. If anyone has questions, you're welcome to ask them now. We'd ask that you now limit the input in the chat to only asking questions no more conversation please
2: all right let's begin i'm having trouble discerning sitting after rising and falling maybe i'm overthinking it is it the same as a touching point in a sense i find the latter much easier is this expected
1: Yeah, you don't have to overthink it. Just when you're aware of the posture of the body just say sitting. The sitting is just a concept. So what's important is experiencing the you know, the, the tension in the body, the pressure, the hardness, softness, etc.
2: Is it fine to note with emphasis? On letting go of individual cravings or feelings to get rid of the hindrances? Or is it better to use my time to investigate the characteristics of reality?
1: I don't think either is proper practice. As I said, you don't. we don't emphasize letting go or getting rid of things. Our focus is, as the Buddha said, on seeing everything on a higher level in an ultimate sense meaning just as it is, seeing is just seeing, hearing is just hearing, and so on. So there's no emphasis in our noting, and there's no investigating characteristics of reality. Just see things clearly. The, the knowledge of the nature of things comes by itself.
2: How can I deal with extreme states of overwhelming and stress in the mind and body during practice? Should I pick one thing and focus on it, even though everything happening feels so strong and overwhelming?
1: You can just say overwhelmed sometimes. But yeah, normally we just pick one thing and focus on it. You can also switch postures. Sometimes lying down helps when you're stressed. If you're walking, maybe sitting down or even standing still, changing postures can help in
0: that sort of instance.
2: Sometimes I feel like I'm going to fall backwards, but I have trouble discerning the physical feeling from the thought that I feel like I'm falling backwards. Should I just note knowing?
1: You can note feeling. You can also note knowing, but feeling is good because you feel like it. You don't it's not a thought of a feeling, it's a feeling. Right? You don't have to discern there is no such thing as physical feeling, actually. And feelings are mental. So just say feeling. But the point being that you don't have to discern physical or mental, just say feeling, feeling. Or if you have an awareness, you see. An awareness that you're falling backwards and it's not an actual feeling and you'd say knowing
2: lately if i get pulled from the object i tend to recognize that i'm distracted and note distracted rather than recognizing what distracted me like hearing pain etc is this okay
1: You'd be better off noting hearing or pain. Distracted means your many things are distracting you all at once and your mind is not focused like many thoughts, for example. That's when you'd note distracted and distracted
2: Is there a distinction to be made between everything you notice and everything that pulls you away from your object and should be noted?
1: Not really. I mean, during walkings, if things don't pull you away, you can just ignore them if you want, but it's not really a distinction.
2: In regards to the intention toward the practice, what does it mean to practice with an ardent attitude, atapi sampajano tsatima. How would you recommend to somehow get ready for the meditation session?
1: So I talk about those three qualities in the booklet. If you haven't read the booklet, that might be interesting. Um, but I'll, I can I can talk about it now. So atapi is the effort. Sampajano is the knowledge. Satima is the recognition or the re- remembrance. So you just have to understand, the, these three provide sort of a good definition of the act of the practice when you say to yourself, pain, pain, for example. So the satima, in a sense, is the, the saying to yourself, pain, pain. That's what evokes the Sati or that is the sati, depending how you define it. It's That that act is the act of, of meditation practice. But it requires sampajana, which means you have to know the experience. You can't just repeat a mantra without any relationship with the actual experience. So if you feel pain and then you just ignore the pain and in your mind say pain, 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 trying not to feel the pain, for example, that doesn't work. It has to be based on the feeling of the pain. Every time you feel the pain, again, you say pain and so you keep repeating it because you keep feeling it and the atapi the atapi it isn't anything special but it is that inclination to know you see it, it the three are are glued together they're they're all part of one act but the fact that you put your mind with the object instead of just repeating a word in your head or or not repeating a word and just looking at the thing right all three of these factors come together but the atapi is the effort involved because it's it takes effort to do it again and again and you might feel lazy and just want to sit silently instead of being bombarded by new things and having to face things head on and so on it's a lot of work to have to repeat the mantra to yourself in the beginning anyway it can be quite uh, stressful as you are not very good at it not very familiar with it and the mind rebels and so on How would you recommend to get ready for the meditation session? Um, Well,
0: if you've heard that all Dhammas are not worth clinging to, then you're ready. After a week of practicing a lot of meditation, as soon as I was going to get sleep,
2: I experienced some sort of invasion like a spirit talking to me, the best way I can describe it. Is this common?
1: I don't like answering questions like, is this normal? Is this common? Because it's not really a useful question. I mean, I know why people, I'm not oblivious to why this question keeps being, this type of question keeps being asked. But it's not really what you want to ask. You're concerned about this. You want to know if this is okay, if something's wrong. And there's nothing that's wrong. Nothing ever is wrong. It's just an experience. I guess the point is, we're not interested in what's common, what's normal. Meditation doesn't work like that. Mindfulness is much more about what's abnormal, what's uncommon. We're trying to ferret out those qualities of mind that are disturbing, that are reactionary. And we're trying to see how we react to things. So in fact, much of what you experience is going to be uncommon. That's a part of the practice. It was going to be new and unexpected and so on. Uh, but so these are the kind of things you want to focus on the hearing you want to focus on the reactions to it the worry the fear and so on and you want to see it just as it is so you see what what happens is the mind clings to it and thereby tries to make more out of it than it actually is in, in any number of ways and you want to avoid that you want to prevent that by instead reminding yourself of what it actually is and keeping yourself in the realm of absolute or ultimate reality, what's actually there.
2: When noting, I often get caught up in finding the right word to describe what I'm experiencing. This feels distracting. How do I avoid this? Should I stick to a limited set of descriptors?
1: So there's lots of reasons why that happens. it happens often because we're overly analytical. But but to be honest, in the beginning, it simply happens because we're not very good. We're not very skilled. We're not very familiar with this type of practice. So you know, you, you'll know get better at it as you go. Uh, but one thing I would say is you don't try to avoid anything, including that. Don't cling to it. So don't get caught up in trying to find the right, right word. And if you can't find the right word... When you're distracted by it, you can note distracted. If it frustrates you, you can note that. If you're worried or unsure, confused,
2: note all of that. When the mind is hyperactive after some achievements, a positive development, I find myself reliving it so acutely that it dominates most of the meditation session. Noting doesn't work. How to remedy this?
1: Well, see, you see, the, the the statement you have noting doesn't work is a, is a misunderstanding of what noting's meant to do. Noting's not supposed to work in the sense that you're um, thinking of it. it. It's working. How is it working? It's working to show that you're not in control. It's a very important realization to see that that this hyperactivity, this reliving of things, is not under your control. You can't control it. The misunderstanding is that we think that the noting is going to somehow fix our problems. It's not. The noting is going to help us see our problems clearly, part of which is seeing that they're not under our control. They're not from us. We're not giving rise to them. They're not actually an us, an I. The, this, the idea of a self is is highly misleading, and it leads us to think that somehow there's, that this is a personal thing that's happening to me and that somehow I'm going to fix it. And it's my duty or my goal to fix it. And that's not the way reality works. You now are seeing something so scary that it's unwieldy, that it's not under your control. So the how to remedy this, you've got it all wrong. And that's a part of why we're practicing is to see how we got it all wrong. To see that this trying to remedy things is a main part of the problem because it involves self and control. We're not trying to do that. We're just trying to see things as they are. So you're doing it, right? Noting it's working. <laughs> it's helping you to see more clearly that you, you're, you're helpless and scary. What that does is, I mean, among, among other things, it leads you to be less inclined to have this sort of hyperactivity. So your mind is less eager to get excited about things, to cling to things, thats just basically it. Because it sees how unwieldy it becomes.
2: The main obstacle I find is aversion. I find it everywhere, in sadness, boredom, worry, etc. It feels like I have aversion of aversion, too. Should I just continue observing this or adjust something? Just keep observing
1: it. It's great that you're seeing it. It's not an obstacle. This is where you're going wrong: thinking that it's an obstacle. I mean, okay, it kind of is, but I shouldn't say that, I suppose. But it, you don't don't look at it as. Let's put it this way: don't look at it as an obstacle. See it as just a version, as an object of meditation, and you'll you'll start to see of course you'll see that it is an obstacle through not seeing it as an obstacle. I mean. The way you approach things is just as objects of meditation. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you're angry all the time. Try and see the anger as it is. And then seeing that it's an obstacle, it will just
0: naturally cease. You don't have to fix it. I
2: understand we should not cling and that we should live in the present. Still, the brain cannot escape memories And it has been three years of heartbreak and still cannot move on. How do I forget and move on in life?
1: You don't forget. You can't make yourself forget. So the how do I, you see, this is where you go. This is where we have these problems. How do I do this? How do I do that? Stop trying to do things. Don't cling to things. Don't try and fix things. Just try and see things as they are. So don't try and escape. You see, because trying to escape is is a clinging. So you don't have to escape the memories. The memories are happening in the present. So they are part of the present. Just try and see them rather than as something in the past, see them as something in the present. Remembering. You can even say remembering, remembering, or just thinking. And when there's heartbreak, don't think of it as three years of heartbreak. it's only one moment and that moment is now. You just see it as it is and and try to move away from trying to fix your problems to just seeing them clearly. And if you're vigilant and, and dedicated enough, you'll see that they fix themselves that the whole idea of them being a problem was was the problem.
0: Is
2: it right practice to not resist falling asleep while sitting just like we don't try to solve anything
1: yes but it's also important to be vigilant you know, sleep is is it's a part of it's an aspect of, of the mind so try your best to note it and let's be clear that Adjusting your practice is a good practical um, tool, it's a practical activity to adjust your practice, especially around things like drowsiness and distraction, especially around those two. Because when you're distracted, it's easy to just sit down or lie down even if you're very distracted. And that adjusts things. If you're very drowsy, you can instead sit up, stand up, start walking. So
0: not, don't, be,
1: don't mistake not clinging from not doing. There's much adjusting that goes on in our life. There's much changing that goes on. Choosing, choosing this, choosing that. But it's based not on clinging, it's based on understanding. You know, arahants, even Mogalana went to visit Sakka and we were asking that people were wondering this morning why did he go there why did he go up to heaven what was he what was his intention but it's what he did it's it's what came to him was the right thing to do and you're going to always be doing that that's not going to change but it won't be out of clinging or a desire to escape a desire to fix it will just be adjusting okay i'm very drowsy now i should sit up but that's that's on a practical, uh, conceptual level. Of course, in an ultimate sense, no matter what you do, what adjustments you make, even with pain, you know, you can adjust, you can move if there's pain. You don't have to just sit through it. But on an ultimate level, that is the solution is to just note. So, so I mean, basically don't don't abandon that aspect of it, the core of it, which is the noting and seeing things as they are.
2: Without some resolve to stick with an object to a small extent, I find that I jump around from object to object and never clearly see anything, only creating stress and bad habits. Do you have any advice?
1: I mean, that's great that you're seeing that. Seeing that the mind does that is an important part of the path. Seeing what the mind is doing wrong. Keep, doing, keep, going. keep going with that and you'll see more clearly. And trying to force the mind to stick with an object, what's that going to do for you? Then you won't see all this, all this bad uh, habits of mind. And we want to see them. We want to see what we're doing wrong. And just try and note that when the mind is jumping around, it's distractions. Say distracted, distracted. When you see the stress, say stressed, stressed. You see that's a big part of it. Is we don't want the stress, so we want to find a better way to practice so we don't have stress. But that's just aversion.
2: Wouldn't clinging to Nibbana and goodness be a good guide on this path? No. No,
1: clinging to Nibbana wouldn't be very helpful at all. Clinging to goodness is also dangerous because it will lead, goodness is not always a part of the path. If you cling to goodness, it can lead you away from the path when you get caught up in doing lots and lots of good things. If you're going to cling to anything, well, you can cling to the truth that nothing's worth clinging to. But, but okay, let's examine that. If that were the ultimate last thing you could cling to. The, the point is the problem is the state of mind of clinging. So anything you cling to, even that truth. Suppose I clung to the idea that nothing is worth clinging to. It's very it, what that leads to is pride, conceit, um, liking, you know, identification. Don't cling to anything. That's 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 the greatest goodness, you see. The not clinging to anything is the greatest goodness. It's the greatest wholesomeness, the greatest purity. And so you don't need to cling to anything else. If, if you're not clinging to anything, then there's no there's no capacity to perform evil. Now, practically in the world, like this getting at this idea of changing postures and so on, and there are many things that support your practice. Um but they don't involve clinging. They're just things that you appreciate, like doing good deeds, like nibbana, even like making determinations. Like A good example is when you make a determination, I vow that I will free myself from suffering, that sort of thing. Make the determination, but don't cling to it. And this is a good... Good way to, of, of show, telling, pointing out the difference because one person makes a determination and then goes to practice. Another person makes a determination and then sits there thinking about how determined they are. I'm going to become enlightened. I'm going to become. And they never practice. You can't become enlightened that way. So if you cling to goodness, I'm going to do goodness. I'm going to reach Nibbana. That's what clinging is. Useless,
0: Harmful.
2: I notice with greater and greater clarity than ever that attention is like a pinball, and noting distracted does not usually slow it down, so I simply try to follow the basic instruction. Is that fine?
1: Yeah. I mean, noting distracted isn't meant to slow it down. It's meant to help you get a better perspective on it. Which which will slow it down eventually, but it's a two step process you see the noting doesn't fix your problems the noting helps you see the problems clearly and the more you see things clearly the fewer problems you have the more things sort themselves out naturally so focus only on seeing clearly don't focus on slowing things down etc because what you, that's what you'll start to see is i, I noted distracted and it it didn't fix it i'm not in control And you see how the nature of things is not, I want this to happen, therefore it happens. It's not like that at all. And so that seeing clearly helps you let go. It changes your perspective on things. Oh, I'm not in charge of this.
2: I've been clinging to flesh desires. I can keep it under control for two or three weeks. But after that, it feels just as eating and sleeping. You need it to stay alive. How do I let go of attachment to bodily desire?
1: So you see the how do I let go? How do I do anything? This is the wrong approach to suffering. How do I? And, and things like letting go, for example, as a specific example. Rather than trying to change things, try to see them clearly. Again, I'm just repeating myself, but that's, it's, it's, it's pretty simple um so so know that nothing is worth clinging to you've heard that you've heard me say it and this is what the buddha said and then start to look and see things clearly and you'll see for yourself that nothing is worth clinging to you don't have to keep it under control i mean practically speaking that'll be a, that'll go hand in hand with the practice when you start to say no to yourself even though you want something but it, but understand that the main the, the real solution, apart from all that practical, you know, controlling your desires and so on, the real solution is just seeing the desire clearly. So we're not about letting go. Just try to see the attachments. And I mean it's not quite so so easy as that, right? I mean, that, that makes it sound easy. It's not easy. It's about as simple as that, but it's not so easy. So to, to be clear, all of these things I'm talking about, it really to accomplish it, it requires a lot of work. Usually intensive meditation practice, giving up, you know, putting aside your whole life and focusing your attention just on this practice. In the beginning, it's a lot of work for sure. I mean, it's always a lot of work. It's uh, something that is very, very much against our uh, natural or ordinary inclination. And because that inclination is, as you can see, it's to cling. So you want to, the Buddha said, you want to l- l- pull a tree that is leaning in one direction. You want to pull it in another direction. It takes a lot of work. So the mind that is inclining towards clinging you want it to incline towards freedom towards peace or towards contentment it's going to take a lot of work you need a big rope and you've got to pull and pull and pull i mean meaning you've just got to put a lot of effort into it
2: in sitting meditation should one always return to the breath after noting something and it having disappeared Or is there leeway for noting many things sequentially?
1: Try to go back to the stomach. And if something's distracting you, you can note it.
0: But after you've noted something, try to go back to the stomach.
2: Through my noting, I have noticed that the only thing I now feel is relevant to look at in my practice is my feelings toward things. So nothing else is of any importance to me. Is this right view?
1: No. We're not concerned of what's important, of any importance to you. Or what you feel is relevant. We're just trying to see everything as it is, and that requires you to note everything you experience, not just your feelings towards things, because you don't have any feelings towards things. These feelings are just like everything else. They arise and cease without any person making them arise. They're not your feelings. Nothing... There's no me for them to be important to. So you have to cut through that. Right view is to see them just as they are. Use the four satipatthana. Don't don't ignore one or the other of the four.
2: What is right effort in meditation? Often I feel as if I should put more effort into sending the mind out. Should this be noted as simply thinking or wanting?
1: Yes. When you do that, that's right effort.
0: It's many things, but it includes right effort.
2: When observing rising, the image of my stomach rising pops up in the mind. How can we stop mental proliferation so that rising becomes rising alone? and not imagination of stomach is rising.
1: So we can put some kind of a, Chris, you're a computer guy, right? We could create an algorithm that flags any question that starts with how can we, how can I? Then, so, because you you see it, sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, then you wouldn't be able to tell the people the problem with that manner of thinking. No.
1: no, I'm not saying then we then we would just ignore these questions. I'm not criticizing putting this up. I'm I'm kind of being facetious, but we can, we can, it's, it's like an algorithm. There's a kind of question and you see what's behind the question is, and I'm not critical of this question. I mean, this is, this is what we're trying to change and this is what you have to see in this question. How can we stop? So we're not trying to stop. That's the whole point. That's, that's, you can see that right as from this question there's behind this there is the mindset of the fixing, the, minds, the fixing mindset, trying to fix things. So how can we stop mental proliferation? That's not the goal. When the, ob- when the image of the stomach pops up in the mind, say to yourself, seeing, seeing. We're just trying to see things clearly. So I mean, I'm not. It's not critical of this question, and I'm happy to answer it. But it is. It's kind of funny that we you can you can catch it. Ah, there's the problem right there. How can I? As soon as you say how can I? Unless it's something like how can I see clearly, right? Like because you see, seeing clearly is not a doing anything. It's not a changing. You're not trying to change the object. It's kind of, I mean, I mean, I'm kind of in an off the, a tongue-in-cheek sort of way. It's like quantum physics, and I don't mean it's like quantum physics, but quantum physics, quantum physics gave us a, a uh, paradigm or or a, a way of working that was so bizarre. And I suppose it's not just quantum physics, but physics, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle right? Just by observing something, you change it. Now, this isn't, you can't apply the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle, but the idea, that idea of when you observe something, you change it. it, it I think it has farther implications than just in physics. I mean, that, that concept of change through observation, I mean, that really is the essence of mindfulness practice. So maybe... Mentioning the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle is, is useful here uh, or, or useful in general in a Buddhist context, context because it's the same sort of principle. Why does What, what good is being mindful? Observing changes
0: things. It's very powerful.
2: Is meditation of the breath as it enters and leaves the nostrils as effective as meditation on the rising and falling of the stomach? Sometimes I don't feel my belly move, even when laying down.
1: It's not preferred. It's preferred to focus on the stomach. The stomach is more coarse. It's more unpredictable. And it's more physical. It's, it's less subtle and less likely to lead to tranquility meaning, meaning to, to take you away from the ultimate reality of it. Now, if you can't experience it, you can instead just say sitting, sitting. In the beginning, you can put your hand on your stomach. A reason why people don't experience it in the beginning is because they're tense or stressed. And you don't have to experience a deep or a, a, a gross movement. Even just the slightest movement is enough to know.
2: When letting go of things like opinions, I often feel like I'm being too apathetic or stepped on or used by others. How should I work on these feelings?
1: There's a lot here. It's an interesting question. Like you have to consider, and I'm not sure your situation, but you have to consider when, when you say when letting go, are you actively trying to let go of things? Because that leads to disappointment. If you had truly let go of things, then you wouldn't be worried about being apathetic and you would never think you're too apathetic because you'd have let go, right? Um, But the other thing is because our practice is not letting go and our practice is seeing clearly, it has a different flavor from actively trying to let go. When you're clinging, when someone tries to use you, and you say, oh, I should let go, and you just, quote-unquote, let it go, uh, then, then it's you're acting unwisely, in fact, and you just are apathetic and, as you say, stepped on. But when you see things clearly, you respond clearly, and you don't get stepped on, you don't get used, you don't appear apathetic. You are, in fact, objective and, and unattached, but you're also clearly present. And that's the more important thing is that you're clearly present so that you can deal with the issue properly. It's a good example of why letting go as a practice is not really letting go and is not really useful, because it ignores the situation. It takes you away from the situation. It represses the clinging, doesn't fix it. Clinging is caused by ignorance, caused by delusion. And delusion and ignorance are removed through wisdom, through seeing clearly. That's the practice. but you should know when you feel people are treating you unfairly as well.
2: So there's that. How can something be prominent and something else be less prominent if experience is momentary? Wouldn't it be collective moments of prominence? I'm not trying to be pedantic, just trying to understand.
1: I mean, it is a little, I don't know if pedantic is the right word, but what's the importance here? Well, like it, it's not. Re- I mean, there is an answer, but first, let's. It's not really important, is it, whether something is prominent and something is less prominent. So, so look at why you're trying to understand. There may be a curiosity, a doubt, and you should really just note that. Yeah, but but technically objects are not all the same and some are stronger than others there are strong objects and weak objects because based on how how strongly the mind uh, attends to the object that's not really you know well that is i mean that is the reality and you're going to see that but you don't need to understand that i guess that's my point so try i'm just cautioning against this line of thinking where you're thinking of these things and wondering about these things, because it will get in the way of your practice—the habit of needing answers to such questions.
2: How do you overcome fear while meditating?
1: How do you? <laughs> I guess it's. I guess it's hard. I guess. What are you going to ask besides how do you? The
2: algorithm right? is tripped, Bunte.
1: My mind keeps tripping the algorithm. um so again overcoming i mean they're all good questions especially from people who are new to buddhism if you want to know does buddhism have a way to overcome fear and while meditating does buddhism have a way to overcome fear the way to overcome fear is to be mindful is to try and see it clearly so don't focus so much on the overcoming. The well, Overcome is kind of a good word, I suppose, because it doesn't say, how do I fix it? It, it? it acknowledges that you can't fix it in a sense, I think. But either way, the important thing is to see, clear, see the fear clearly and, and understand that that's not going to fix it. That's not going to get rid of the fear necessarily. Sometimes it'll make it go away, but that's not the point. The point is you'll change your relationship with the fear. Because what happens with fear, with anything, right? Let's take a moment of fear. If after the moment of fear, there is a moment of mindfulness, there can't be another moment of fear because you've broken the chain. Fear leads to more fear, leads to thoughts about the fear which perpetuate the fear. I mean, it doesn't have to, but that's how it grows. That's why it grows, because we perpetuate it. We feed, we get into these feedback loops. I'm afraid, or you get afraid, then you say to yourself, I'm afraid, and you think about what's making you afraid, and you exacerbate it. It's like it, it, When you look at it, it's almost as though we were purposefully making, working ourselves up, which is probably the case when, if you go back far enough and understand how these things cr- are created in the beginning, as we do, work ourselves into a fit, not realizing what really what we're doing. We've
0: developed bad habits this way by reinforcing them.
2: Yesterday in the practice, it felt like every moment of observation had its own life and realm. My reaction was, Oh, so I noted surprised and knowing, could I catch other things to note too? I'm not
1: quite sure about that question. I don't quite know what you're referring to, but I would just say about the general observation is um, to to be observant um, about your reactions to this. We often have these epiphanies or aha moments, and they can be a cause for clinging. It's a really good example of of the importance of the teaching that nothing is worth clinging to because this is a good thing and good things are our are, are prime clinging material anything good that arises you're very much likely to cling to it in the practice so keeping that as your rudder as your mainstay that that teaching is 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 essential for continued progress as you remind yourself this is also not worth clinging
2: If you are supposed to have right thought, which is about seeing reality for what it is and not what we think it is, then why do you often talk about past lives and reincarnation? Isn't that a belief?
1: I don't know that I often talk about past lives and reincarnation. I talk about them when people ask about them. Now, past lives and, re- and rebirth, or whatever you want to call it, isn't a belief. It's just the truth. The belief the 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 view that we die the view that when we die the mind suddenly for some reason stops working. That's a belief. It's wrong belief. But reality is just the continuation of what's going on right now. So, you know, I don't think I fixate too much on past lives or reincarnation, but people ask about it, I try and point out to them that their view that at death everything stops is wrong and unwarranted unfounded it's important because if it were the case then you wouldn't really have to do anything you just wait for it all to be over when we die it's kind of a dismal outlook but that's not unfortunate that's not really the well fortunately or unfortunately that's not the way it is
2: Will I attain Nibbana by observing, rising, and falling alone?
1: I don't know about you. Some people might. We recommend the Four Satipatthana, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. If you haven't read my booklet, you might want to read that. We have links in the description. But um, maybe you know already about the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. I would recommend focusing on all four and not neglecting any one of them i mean sorry as they come up for some people different foundations will come up more more frequently and be more predominant just don't fixate on one or ignore one when it does come up so know about all four of them and be ready to note and objective about noting all four
2: Can I reach a state of enlightenment by practicing daily what is taught in the at-home course, or will my progress be stunted if I cannot make it to the center for the more advanced course offerings?
1: Your progress will be stunted, yes. But can you reach a state of enlightenment? You can. It's not easy. And Of course, it's stunted by all the... It's not stunted by the fact that you can't make it here. It's stunted by all the other things you're doing that are not very mindful. But if you're mindful every day and you're practicing every day, absolutely, in this lifetime, you can reach the truth. You can reach freedom from suffering. See Nibbana for yourself. I can't say how long it's going to take you. And of course, it's much more it's expedited, expedited the word, by doing intensive
2: practice. Under a teacher. Sometimes I experience all my senses like just one big sense door, and then I only note feeling, feeling. Is this a good moment to go back to the stomach?
1: I mean, after you've noted something, you should go back to the stomach. I'm not sure about experiencing all senses like just one big sense door. I think you should be a little bit more uh, discerning than that and be able to to discern which is which because they're not all the same
2: we're coming to the end of the hour Bhante I think we should cut it
1: we have a lot more are we already out of tier one? yes okay oh good questions yeah well let's end it there then thank you all sadhu sadhu I didn't notice, I guess, I guess they were some of them a little bit curious and so on, right? But I don't don't mind those questions. We just try to be vigilant because we don't want to trust our own. Maybe I like the questions, but I don't want to trust that. We have to have a sort of um, litmus test or something. We have to have a standard to remind ourselves how let's not get cut up in theorizing and curiosity to keep keep all keep all of us on track. So as a as a program, we have criteria and we try to stick to it. But no good questions. I appreciate everyone coming here. Good group. Thank you, Chris and Ulu and Jim. Ulu and Jim are hard at work behind the scenes. Or, or Ulu's in the chat in the scene thank you I don't know okay thank
0: you all have a good week sad Sadhu.